join me in a word of prayer. God, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. The flowers will fade, the grass will wither, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. Speak, Lord. We are listening to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, welcome everyone. We are continuing our series today on the seven last words of Christ from the cross. And today we hear this third word, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. You'll notice in the hearing of the word today that we backed up the text a few verses, and I wanted to do that intentionally, because I believe these words are speaking into the context that precedes it. Commentators have noticed that there is actually some intentionality going on in John's writing of this gospel, that this image of the four soldiers is now set in contrast to this image of the four women at the cross. Jesus' words to these women huddled around in grief are an answer to this scene of terror. It is this terrible scene, the scene of injustice. An innocent man is being tortured and killed, and below him are these four soldiers who are callously plundering his things, betting on his tunic. We see an image of injustice, an image of suffering, We see these four men caught up in complicity as they are participating in torture. And off to the side are these four women grieving, weeping as they see the beloved Christ being killed. Friends, is that not the context upon which we look on our world today as well? Our news feeds this week have been filled with stories of soldiers plundering the innocent. We have seen images of innocent women and children being bombed, people fleeing from their homes in this unjust war in Ukraine. We have looked upon a world of injustice and pain, and perhaps you come just carrying that grief, that pain today. As we look at this on a grand scale and an international level, maybe some of you come carrying some of that pain, that hurt on a personal level, as you navigate a world of suffering, a world of injustice, a world of the four soldiers. And it is into that space that Jesus speaks this word. He speaks over a people in grief, and he calls them into community. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Jesus' antidote to a world of suffering is to call into existence a community of love. Jesus knows that we cannot withstand the pain of this world alone. It is a cord of many strands that come together that can withstand the strain of injustice. Jesus calls into existence this new community. Behold one another, love one another, welcome one another. This is how we respond to the four soldiers. The world of the four soldiers is met when three or four are gathered under the cross in the presence of Christ. This, friends, is a call to community. Jesus has been speaking to this all the way leading up to the cross. We saw this back in John 13, where he had this parting meal with the disciples. He washed their feet, and he spoke these words, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. 
In John 17, his final prayer, Jesus prays that the people of God would be one, that they would stay united. Jesus knew that they needed to stick together to fend off the forces that seek to divide and isolate us. Lord, may they be one. May they hold together as I depart. Jesus is calling us friends to be a community of radical, sacrificial love. And what I want to notice in our text today is what that community might look like. I notice in this scene some some details, some characteristics of what this new community will look like, this community that counters the world of the four soldiers. This isn't a comprehensive list, but some things we see in the details of this text. And the first thing I want us to notice is that this new community is a community of solidarity. A people who behold, look upon, enter into a world of suffering and stand there in solidarity. Can we notice these four women at the cross? Many have fled. It's too hard. It's too painful. But they stand there with Christ, though they can do nothing about it. This is an image of standing in solidarity. Matthew Henry, in his classic commentary, writes these these words. They were not deterred by the fury of the enemy, nor the horror of the sight. They could not rescue him, nor relieve him, yet they attended him. Perhaps this is a call to some of us today to step into those places of pain that feel helpless, feels like we maybe can't do a whole lot, but there is so much power, friends, in standing in solidarity with those who suffer, with those who are weak. Henry Nouwen, a great spiritual writer who has spoken a lot about pastoral care and the spirituality of caregiving, makes an important distinction between being a caregiver and a caregiver. Now, we want to be a caregiver. We want to be effective, and to be sure, there are times when we can bring practical relief, but have you ever been in those circumstances where there wasn't any hope on the horizon and it felt helpless? There was no cure. And in those spaces, I believe we are called simply to care, to be present, to stand in solidarity. This is what Henry Nouwen writes. He says, compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to the places where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken but it is not our spontaneous response to suffering. What we desire most is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or finding a quick cure for it. Yet perhaps the greatest gift is our ability to enter into solidarity with those who suffer. You feel those reflexes in response to pain? Sometimes we want to flee from it. It's just too overwhelming. Other times, we try and prematurely fix it. Just kind of speaking to the husbands here. Have you ever made that mistake? Just try and and fix it. But is there maybe a call to us to simply stand in solidarity with those in pain, to see that that is part of our calling? And that this perhaps is some of the best ways we can care for people, to let them know that they are not alone, that we are with them, that we care for them. This new community is a community of solidarity. The next word I I want us to hold up is this word proximity. 
And what, what I mean by this is, I, I notice Jesus' example to us in this text. That while he is taking on the sins of the world about this big project of the redemption of humanity, he notices his own mother. He cares for the woman that is in close proximity to him. I see something really significant for us as we seek to become a community of love that this call to, to radical servanthood isn't always about the big deal, the flashy thing, the big program, but Jesus is calling us to attend to those who are right under our noses, to care for those people that we are in proximity with, with those that we rub shoulders with daily in our workplaces, in our homes. I think this is an important corrective sometimes. It, it can be tempting to be really excited about the big projects, the, the big deal. And yet, as we heard in our video today, sometimes the kingdom of God is these small mustard seed acts of love and kindness to those who we are already in proximity with. The way we care for our kids or for our family or for our co-workers. In Charles Dickens' novel, Bleak House, there's a character named Mrs. Jellybee. And she is an interesting character because on the one hand, she has a huge heart for the suffering children in Africa. And she's really caught up in these big acts of, of care and concern for the most vulnerable in the world. And yet, she is neglecting and overlooking the kids under her care. And so she is described as a woman who is practicing a telescopic philanthropy. It's kind of a mouthful. A telescopic philanthropy where there's a concern for the big project, the big let's change the world thing across the world, and yet those in proximity to her are suffering. I wonder if Jesus' word from the cross is calling us to notice those people who are right under our nose, those small things we are called to do with great love. There's another literary example that was really instructive to me. I read the short story by Tim Parks a few years ago called Reverend. And it's a really heartbreaking story of this successful pastor written from the perspective of his two kids, these two pastor's kids. And this pastor was going about doing all these big things for the kingdom of God, and yet his own children were lost in the shuffle. And at one point in the story... One of the children says, my dad was so busy saving souls that he forgot about the souls under his nose. And I've always held that story as like a challenge to me in ministry that the litmus test for a healthy spirituality for me is not how well preaching goes, but what I do when I go home. How do I care for those closest to me? Because that's sometimes, honestly, harder, the daily grind of love and care when there's no recognition, where there's no um, big project. Richard Foster, in his classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, makes an important distinction between self-righteous service and true service. And he says, a self-righteous service is someone that will only serve when it's the big deal, uh, when there's a, a big project, when there's recognition, when we go on a trip and wear a t-shirt. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, right? We can get caught up. We're going to talk in a minute about expanding our, our love outward as well. But the sign of a, a true servant heart is those who will do it in hiddenness, 
when there isn't recognition, whether it's big or small, in the daily grind. That's the litmus test for a healthy spirituality, is God may be calling us to turn our hearts towards those right under our nose today. Because the reality is that is where we can make an impact. Do you ever feel just crushed by the pain of this world? Like, where do we even begin as we see all these stories? The, the call to the locals, to the places of proximity is an empowering call because these are the people I can actually make a difference for, right? Because that may be direct where we put our energy into being a, a healing presence in the world of these four soldiers, this world of injustice. So we practice proximity. Paul's pretty blunt about this in 1 Timothy 5. Anyone who does not provide for their own relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'm not quite as blunt as Paul, but every once in a while I'll just let him say the hard thing. Is God calling us to attend to those right in our midst today? Who is that for you? Who are you called to behold, see, look upon with eyes of compassion? This third characteristic I want to lift up for us is this word hospitality. What we discover is this call to this beloved disciple John to now expand his embrace beyond just his own household to welcome Mary into his home. So on the one hand, this is a call to attend to those in our midst, to our family, to our co-workers, to those we are rubbing shoulders with. And yet, Jesus also then now calls us to expand that embrace to others as well. I heard a few reflections this week that just preached this as a family value sermon. Jesus loved his family, and you should too. And that's part of the text. I've hopefully driven that point home. But there is a bigger story here as well, that we are then called to extend that same grace that we work out in the context of our own sphere to a broader community. This is good news, friends, for those that are in need, that don't have family, that have the need for compassion from the community of faith. This is what Dale Bruner writes in his commentary. Jesus is not only taking care of his mother and his friend in filial and fraternal loyalty, he is more significantly creating a new family of the people of God. It's a both-and thing. We are called to care for those directly next to us, but then to expand our embrace and look upon one another as family. The key verb is missed in the NIV here. In the NIV translation, Jesus says, here is your mother, here is your son. But it's actually this word behold or look upon. Have your eyes opened to those around you. These are your new family. And I invite you to just look around this congregation and, and, and hear Jesus saying, behold, this is your extended family. We are called to make room for one another, particularly the vulnerable among us. Mary is entering a season of vulnerability. It appears that Joseph has died. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't be making these arrangements. And in the ancient world, this created great vulnerability for a woman. And so Jesus is trying to provide for her well-being. And John is called to extend this radical hospitality of welcoming Mary into his home as if 
She was family. And so the question I pose to you is, where is God inviting you to, to open your heart, open your home to those who are vulnerable among us? Those outside of our direct, immediate family. I want to spur us on, church, and encourage you because I have seen you do this well. It's beautiful to see the way many of you are opening your homes literally to the vulnerable, to the refugees coming in our midst. I'm heartened by some of the stories I'm hearing. Uh, John Curl, you shared the story of how you're working with some of the free churches in Poland, that they're welcoming people fleeing uh, to, to open their homes with radical hospitality. I was heartened by the way a number of you gathered around one of our members who was deeply sick this week. We just threw out a last minute, could we do a 24-hour prayer vigil? And 70 of you prayed for Barbara this week. And, and God has met her in some powerful ways in, in, in her sickness. You are doing this well, and I just want to spur us on that we are called to the ministry of radical hospitality. That is how we counter a world of pain, by loving one another deeply. I want to end with two questions that are some practical questions that maybe help us now live into this vision. This is the vision that we would be a community that practices solidarity, that cares for those close and those outside our family. This question now is, how might we realize this vision? And, and two questions emerge for me. The, the first question is, who is Jesus actually speaking to? Who does this call extend to? And this may seem obvious, but I want to reinforce a point that I notice in this text. I find it really interesting who is at the cross. These four women are, are the, the remaining people that Jesus speaks and calls into community. And this is, again, what Dale Bruner notices. Where, meanwhile, are the apostles, the male disciples, Jesus' specially trained community? In the other three Gospels, they are completely missing. In this Gospel, the beloved disciple is added after the list of four women in the next verse, almost as an afterthought it could at first appear. Kind of an interesting observation and this is what I want to highlight. I want to see how Jesus is empowering the whole people of God in this scene. That this call to radical hospitality and love is not just for the trained leaders. And in fact, they're actually missing. The ones that went to seminary for four years are kind of missing at a pretty crucial moment in the life of the church. But these four faithful women are the ones that Jesus speaks this word over and calls them to community. And I point that out because I want us to remember that the church is not just the trained, it is not just the pastors, but it is all of us. The whole people of God are empowered into this work. Friends, you are the missions committee of Bellingham Covenant Church. <laughs> right. Now, we need leadership, and these apostles will have an important role. But I want us to notice again, I'm just reinforcing an important point, this is in Ephesians 4, that the role of apostles, pastors, teachers, people like me is not to do the work of ministry, but it is, Ephesians 4.12, to equip. It is for the equipping of all the saints, that's you, for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. 
There is no distinction between leaders and laity in the New Testament. There isn't even a word for lay person in the New Testament. It is just laos, the, the whole people of God, and leaders are part of that. I want to spur you on and, and call you into this shared work that, that we do this together. And again, you do this well, but we need to counter some forces of consumerism that can so easily slip into the church. I don't see it happening here, but I, I just know it's, it's possible that sometimes the church can feel like a football game where there's 12 tired professionals running around and a crowd sitting cheering them on. Right? But the role of, of the teachers to get, is to get everybody out of the stands, out of the pews, into the game, participating in this work. So you are an empowered people. I see the way you're doing it. I just spur you on to continue in this work. This last question that I want to ask, the second question is this, how can we do this? How can we realize this type of countercultural community? How can this happen in our midst? Now, I want to clarify for us what the sermon isn't today, and I, I could preach this by calling us to try really hard, try and practice solidarity, try and love those close to you, try and practice hospitality. But to do so would to be missing the gospel and missing the bigger picture in this very story. Our capacity to live into this countercultural community depends on us living at the foot of the cross. Living at the foot of the cross. I see this small, faithful community as a community that is being formed by word and sacrament. A people who are sitting at the foot of the cross, hearing, attending to Christ's words over them, and being transformed and shaped by his sacrificial love on the cross. That's the only way this happens. It doesn't happen through self-effort alone. It happens as we gather at the foot of the cross, dependent on Christ's forming words and depending on what he accomplished for us on the cross. John Calvin once said that as Jesus was stripped naked on the cross, it was so that we would be clothed with righteousness. Our capacity to become this community is dependent on us being transformed by Christ on the cross. This is what one theologian said. When Jesus turns downward and gives a last will and testament directive to his mother and his beloved disciple, he is establishing a community at the cross. From the cross downward, the one exalted on the cross grounds his church under the cross. Friends, that is why we gather weekly. That's why we come to the table, why we stand under the word of God, so that we might be equipped to be a community that counters the four soldiers. That we might be formed and transformed, cruciformed into a people who practice radical hospitality and love for one another. So I call you to behold and look. Behold those in your midst that God is calling you to love. Behold the vulnerable among you that God is calling you to welcome into your homes. But do this as you behold Christ on the cross, for that is what will make this possible. Would you join me in prayer?
Gracious God, I pray that you would continue to be forming us as a community of hope and healing in a world of suffering and pain. May you spur us on, show us what you are wanting us to see, the people you are calling us to love. But we come, God, before you humbly acknowledging that apart from you, we can do nothing. We must abide in your love like a branch attached to the vine. May we be rooted, standing humbly together at the foot of your cross, nourished by your word, nourished by your sacrificial love, so that this might become a possibility. Help us, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.